0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Turn to Acts chapter 13, if you don't mind. Acts chapter thirteen, as we continue to uh, follow Paul into places where he is not only going to see the gospel spread and churches planted, but uh, he's going to meet quite a bit of opposition. And uh, we we want to take a look at both of those. I I have a I have a concern, something that I've been praying about and wrestling with, and um, I felt like today's a good day to, to talk to with you about it, and it fits in perfectly with what Paul's dealing with. And and the the, the issue I'm having, or the struggle that I'm having, is just how divided our country is becoming. Um, there's so many divisions now, I can't even keep up with it. And I think of it in, in this mindset of, of all the different tribes of people with different ideologies. It can be a political division it can be uh, social issues it can be uh, even identity how we identify ourselves and all these different camps and all these different tribes it seems like there's more and more and more and more tribes of people that take varying viewpoints on a myriad of things and it seems like day in and day out we're just barraged with with news and media of all these different groups wanting you to get on their team. And, and as soon as you begin to align yourself uh, with any of these particular groups, the, the first thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna be dist- distinguished by your adherence to this group's ideology, and then everyone else are considered the others, right? And whether that otherness is by race, political affiliate, identity, whatever it is, there becomes this idea that, that we are closed off from the others, that we're better than the others, that we know what is right, not only for our tribe, but for every other tribe. So then this continual arguing and fighting and malignment and just anger it is completely infiltrating every aspect of our community. And I don't know if you've had this problem, but honestly, I don't even know how many different groups there are? I don't, I, it seems like every day I'm getting overwhelmed with all the different positions on everything that's coming down the pipe. And I know if you're a, a frequent Facebook poster, I'm not, but if you're, if you're one of those people who Facebook posts a lot or Instagram, before you post, you're having to think, now who is this going to offend? Because there's so many people who are offended now by pretty much everything. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, I've come to the conclusion, I've had this conclusion for a long time, but even I can get caught up in all of this
1: madness and and I can lose lose sight. There really is only two camps. There's two groups of people.
0: Yes, in all of the variations and all that's going on, there's
1: really two camps of people, lost and saved. It really comes down to that, doesn't it? There are people who've been born again, justified, which basically
0: means that your sin has been forgiven. You've been declared holy, righteous by by the creator of the universe. You've been adopted by him, or you have rejected the gospel of peace. You have rejected his forgiveness. You have have rejected the truth, and, and therefore... You were born into darkness and you remain in darkness. There are a group of people who are in light. There's a group of people who are in darkness. This group of people who are in light have been called to take the light to those dark places.
1: For those who've come out of darkness and the light, you've you've defected out of this group and you've joined this group. For those of you who haven't put your
0: faith in Jesus, you remain in darkness. We who've been called in the light have been be given the the mission to take the light, the truth, the gospel, the peace, the joy we found, and, and go back into dark places with truth. So when it's all said and done, and one day there will be a day when all will be said and all will be done. We just sung about it. I just read about it in Revelation 5.
1: There's still going to be two groups of people, those who spend their eternity with their Creator and those who do not.
0: Now, I I just like you are having a hard time navigating all that our culture is throwing at us, but I've got to stay grounded in that place that I'm in light and I've been called to take that light into darkness. Now, as we do that, as we do that, and if you've done it, you might've got some pushback. You might've got a harsh response. There are a lot of disciples of Jesus who had a, a bad experience sharing the gospel and they've stopped. Because it didn't go very well. Not because you failed, but because how the other person responded. So we, we, tend to, we tend to retreat back into our tribe. You know what our tribe is? Well, look around you. This is our tribe, Hyde Park, right? We, we retreat back because we know the songs, we know the lingo, we know the people. You, we can bring Jesus up in an environment like this and we're going to get a pat on the back and we're going to get an amen most of the time. So, so it's a place of comfort, it's a place where we, where we would prefer to just kind of stay and, and always be with our people and not be so concerned with the others. And then when we begin to listen to what all the media is telling us, we can begin to divide even more and, and we can become so isolated in our tribe that no longer are we known for love, which Jesus said, That the way the world will know that you're different, the way the world will know that you're a disciple is not by how we yell at
1: people, but how we love people. We can become so steeped in
0: all these different ideologies that are vying for our attention that we come across as just angry,
1: not loving. We begin to see people just as the color of their skin or their political affiliation, or
0: even how they identify themselves. We only begin to see people that way. They become the others. Paul is getting ready to go into an area of the others. He's getting ready to go into an area that is far into him. The people are going to look different, talk different, eat different. They're going to believe different things. Paul is getting ready to go into an area that he's never been before for the sole purpose of taking light into dark places. Now, it would be a whole lot easier for Paul to stay at Antioch. Quite frankly, if I'd have been Paul, I would have wanted to stay in Antioch because Antioch had this great church that's growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, who would want to leave that? Well, Paul had to. is what God told him to do. He went to Cyprus with Barnabas and John Mark. They went all the way across the island of, of Cyprus, sharing the gospel, seeing many people come to faith in Christ. They get on a ship, and they head north. Look at chapter 13, verse 13. Now, Paul and his command, companions set sail from Paphos, and they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them. John Mark leaves. Now, that's, we'll bring that topic back up a little later, but John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas and heads back to Jerusalem. He goes on. But they went on from Perga and then came to Antioch and Pisidia. Now Antioch, this Antioch is a different Antioch than the one we were talking about previously. This is is further north and west into Asia Minor, almost right in the middle. So this is a different Antioch than Antioch where Paul and Barnabas left to go to Cyprus. And they're going to places where no one has heard the gospel. And, and Paul is going to go to what is most familiar to him first. He's going to go into the synagogues because there in the synagogues are Jewish people. And, and Paul is going to begin his conversations about Jesus among his brothers, the Jewish people.
1: Last week, I opened a can of worms. I opened a can of worms last week when I started talking about spiritual warfare because I had, I
0: had some questions this week about that. It was a good can of worms. Make no mistake about it. It's something we need to talk about. And I said last week that we, we've got to take the blinders off of our eyes and see what's going on in front of us, that all of this division and all of this that's going on in our world that is distracting us is actually a tactic of spiritual warfare against the church and against you specifically. The last thing that, Jesus, the last thing that Satan wants to have happen in this world is for you to bring up Jesus to your people and to your friends and your co-workers who are in darkness. He'll use distraction, whatever he can, to keep that from happening. But last week we talked about the two realms, spiritual realm and physical realm. And there's a war that is raging and it manifests itself in the world. If If we'll get our eyes tuned into scripture and begin to look for it, we'll see that we're actually dealing with spiritual warfare on a regular basis. The church has already had to deal with it. We've seen Stephen martyred we, we, we've seen the church be persecuted. We've seen Peter and John get arrested multiple times. We've seen them beaten. We, we've seen the church had to scatter out of Jerusalem. We've seen it over and over again. But you're going to see it on a whole new scale with Paul as he travels into dark places. Turn over to Ephesians 3. We need to take a look at Ephesians 3 before we get into Paul's sermon here in chapter 13. In Ephesians 3, Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, draws our attention to something very important. When I talked about spiritual warfare last week, I talked about that Paul said to the church at Ephesus that that they were to be prepared for spiritual attack. That Satan is is formulating, and and he is plotting, and he is setting snares, and he is hoping to to derail the church and its mission. And Paul says, take on the whole armor of God. And he talked about rulers in high places. He talked about uh, how Satan and, and the forces of darkness are working in leaders and rulers all over the world to bring about all kinds of hardship and all kinds of destruction. Notice what he says in Ephesians 3, verse 7. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Paul says, I and every disciple of Jesus Christ is a minister of the gospel of grace. He says in verse 8, "To me." though I am very least of all the saints. Paul, no matter where you find him, you find humility. Paul was not this angry, Bible-thumping, crazy man. He was a humble servant of Christ who stood upon the truth of God's Word. He says, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I don't know if you've recognized this. If you've been, if you've been around here for a while, you've been coming to of for a while, you've probably picked up on this. The pastor pretty much says the same thing about every week. It's no secret, right? There's nothing new under the sun. I keep saying the same things. And sometimes when I'm preparing, I'm going like, Lord, I've said that so many times. I know, I know the church is getting tired of hearing me say it, but but there's nothing new. And what we do is we go deeper and deeper into the unsearchable riches of Christ. It doesn't matter how many lifetimes you read God's Word. It doesn't matter if you had a thousand lifetimes. You will never plumb the depths of God's goodness, His grace, and the truth contained in this book. And even though it sounds like I'm saying the same things over and over and over again, it's the unsearchable riches of Christ that we're we're seeking, that we want to understand and grab our arms around. He says it's the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring, here it is, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Paul says that he's found light. His mission is to take that light in the dark places, the same as it is for you. He says this mystery of God's grace, this mystery of the gospel. Verse 10. So so that through the church, the church, the called out ones, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities where? In the heavenly places. Paul uses exactly the same phrase here that he uses in the spiritual armor when he talks about that Satan and the forces of darkness are are, are utilizing and infiltrating and, and, and managing and guiding these rulers in high places And the church is called to not isolate itself off, but to charge forward into the public square to bring the wisdom of the gospel to bear on this community in spite of the spiritual warfare. It would be easy just to retreat back. Go back to Acts if you don't mind. It'd be easy just to retreat back. We we know the songs, we know the words, we we know Jesus. Wouldn't it be a lot easier just to hang out with people just like you? Yeah, you don't have that option, and neither did Paul. As a follower of Jesus, you've been called to out there. And out there, there's darkness. And out there, there are people who may, who may say some things that are harsh towards what you believe and the Savior you follow. Paul knew that. Now, if you listen to the news and media, the church is not the answer. Matter of fact, the church is the problem. We're, we're starting to see we are starting to see in our culture an increased hatred for Jesus Christ and the church that follows Him. Just this past week, well-known news commentator said that Jesus sinned, just like everyone else. That Jesus was a sinner. We're now hearing that in our media. We're now hearing that, that the church needs to change, that the church needs to be silent, that the church needs to go away. We're hearing that today. It's getting dark out there. We don't have the option of retreating back, so what is our option? Well, I believe the church is the answer. I believe the church, the gospel, is the answer to what we're seeing. You want to see racial reconciliation? It's through the love of Jesus Christ that that happens. You want to see the divisions go away? It's through Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, that brings all tribes and nations together. That's the answer. Look at Paul. Look at what Paul does. He goes, verse 16, He goes straight into the synagogue. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. So in that synagogue, there would have been Jewish people who were born Jewish people. But there were also Gentiles who had converted to Judaism in that synagogue. So so Paul says, all of you who fear God, whether you are Jewish born or gentile born who converted to judaism if you fear god i want you to listen to me i have something to say when paul goes into the synagogue they're not aware who paul is they're not exactly sure who he is they think he's a traveling jewish rabbi and it was the custom of the day that if you went into a synagogue and you were a rabbi they would ask you to speak so after they would read a portion of the law and a portion of the prophets they would invite itinerant traveling rabbis to stand in front of the group and speak so they asked paul to speak well paul takes the opportunity. Verse 17: The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm He left them out, led them out. So what does Paul do? Well, he starts with the history of the Jewish nation, and he goes back and he says, you know, we were in captivity in Egypt, and God, by His miraculous power, set us free. And for 40 years He put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. So, so Paul is simply going through the history of the nation of Israel. And I would imagine that day in that synagogue, there are heads doing this. I, I, would, I don't know if they men, but if they did, I would imagine that Paul's probably getting some amens at this point. Because the Jewish people love their history. They love to talk about how God set them free from Egyptian bondage then they asked for a king, verse 21. And God gave them the king they wanted, Saul. You know how that turned out, right? It was a train wreck. And then God raises up David, a teenager. He's anointed as king by Samuel. And, and the Bible says, he, Paul, uh, Paul says here in verse 22, and when he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he had testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all all of my will. Now, up to this point, the Jewish people and the Gentiles who converted to Judaism are all shaking their head going, amen, Paul, amen. But it's at verse 23 where things turn. Of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he had promised. Wait a minute. Now we got a problem. (laughs) Now, Luke doesn't record the temperature in the room at that particular point. But for the Gentiles in the room, they kind of perk up. For the Jews in the room, they're not so sure where Paul's going with this because they'd heard enough about Jesus to know that he'd been put to death, that he'd been hung on a cross. There's no way that Jesus could be a Messiah. But guess what Paul is gonna preach in this synagogue? Exactly that. I would imagine at this moment, things kind of cool off. I would imagine there's some talking in the synagogue about what Paul is saying. Have you ever been in a room where everything in the world is being talked about and there's a worldview that is being put forward as the truth and you bring up the word Jesus. You bring up the word that you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus had this and say, have you ever done that? Has the wind ever left the room? Has the temperature or the oxygen level went down about 10 degrees in the room? If you haven't done that, I encourage you to try it. (laughs) Yeah, bringing up Jesus can change some things. As a matter of fact, The whole world's talking about everything under the sun. Politics and COVID-19 and everything. Wouldn't it be a great time for you to say, you know what? Yeah, there's a lot of things going on in the world. Yeah, we're being careful as a family. But you know what? My trust is in Jesus. Jesus, I'm in the palm of
1: God's hand. Jesus said, I'm in the palm of God's hand. Nothing's going to pluck me out. God's got my life. He's got my family. He changed my life. Do that. Do that in in, in the groups of people that you're with and see what happens. Paul did it. Oh, but he's not done.
0: This is what Paul has to say. Paul Paul takes us not only from Jesus being the offspring of David as predicted by the prophets. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism. This is verse 24. of repentance to all the people of Israel. And John was finishing his course. He said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not the one. No, but behold, after me is one coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Paul takes them all the way from Egyptian bondage to John the Baptist. Now, every year in the room is trying to figure out what Paul's going to do. Well, verse 26, he begins to kind of really get down into what he's trying to communicate. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So, so Paul says all the way back when Abraham was called to go to a land that God was showing, him, all the way down through the Egyptian bondage, all the way through the reign of, of David, all the way down through the prophets, God has been speaking a message and preparing a message and preparing for a Messiah and that Messiah has come. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And it's only in him, that salvation will be found. He said it is this message of salvation that has come down through all of these, all this history, all the prophets,
1: all of the law has been pointing to Jesus. Verse 27. Now for those who lived in Jerusalem, their rulers,
0: they, they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath. If you go into a Jewish synagogue, an Orthodox Jewish synagogue today, They're doing exactly the same thing today that they were doing when Paul was standing in this synagogue in Pisidia. They read a portion of the law. They read a portion of the prophets. They may sing a psalm, recite a psalm together. And in in those psalms and in that law and in that prophet, prophets, they are pointing to Jesus, yet those very people in that synagogue are still looking for a Messiah to come. They may even get up and read Isaiah 53. You know what Isaiah 53 is, right? It's the picture of Jesus dying on the cross 600 years before it happened. They would get up and read Isaiah 53, close that book and still look for a Messiah. Paul goes in there and he says,
1: this salvation, this gospel has been taught to you all down through the ages. He says, even the
0: people who condemned Jesus didn't recognize what they were doing. Look what it says here. It says, they fulfilled the prophets by condemning Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And then they go to Pilate because they had nothing to charge Jesus with. They had nothing that
1: he was guilty of. So they go to Pilate and convince Pilate to order Jesus to be put to death. Verse 30. But God raised Jesus him from the dead.
0: This is the first part of Paul's argument. The first part of Paul's argument here to the people in that synagogue is not only is Jesus in the line of David, not only did the prophets and the law point to him specifically, but Jesus is greater than death itself. What is the one thing that everybody in that synagogue has in common? whether they're Gentile or Jew, whether they are poor or rich, whether they have lots of things or nothing, whether they are living on the streets or living in a mansion, what does everyone in that synagogue have in common? They're all going to die.
1: Every one of them. It's the one thing that binds everybody in this room together. It's one of those things that is part of being a human being.
0: So Paul goes straight to the one thing that everybody's the most concerned about, it's death. Now, the, Jews, the Jews, Jews have been teaching that if you keep the law, then you get to spend eternity with God. If you, if you keep all of these laws and you do them consistently and you, you do them enough and you tilt the scale over into your favor, then all's good and all's well and you're part of God's kingdom. But what about this death? What, what about death that looms over every person? Jesus overcome it. He says here, verse 32, and we bring you good news
1: that what God promised to the fathers, this He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus.
0: Jesus' resurrection is the fulfillment of everything that the law and prophets were pointing
1: to. This curse of death that came at the fall is reversed in what Jesus accomplishes on the cross and in the resurrection. He says...
0: That raising Jesus fulfills that. Look what he says, Psalm 2. He, he quotes Psalm 2. He says, you are my son today. I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption. You see that word corruption? You know what that word means? It means decay. So not, all, not only did Jesus beat death, that Jesus is greater than death, Paul's next point is, is that Jesus is greater than David. Now, this would have been, this would have been a, a, a stiff thing or a hard thing for the Jews to hear. David was revered as the greatest king Israel had ever seen. And Paul is standing in that synagogue saying that Jesus is greater than him. And the the argument is is that Jesus, although he died, was resurrected. He He did not undergo corruption. His body did not decay. He was resurrected to power and glory. But guess what? We can take a little trip and we can go to David's tomb. And inside that tomb is David's bones. David did not escape corruption. His body decayed. Jesus didn't. He's greater than David. But I think it's verse 39 that really got the attention, especially of the Gentiles in the room. I think verse 39 is what really caused everybody to lean in is when Paul said this, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not have been freed by the law of Moses. Not only is Jesus greater than death and Jesus is greater than David, Jesus is greater than the law. Now that would have been a revolutionary thing to be said in a synagogue. Paul looks at that crowd and he says, Jesus fulfilled the law on your behalf. Do you recognize this, that, that all that stuff that you're trying to do good, you're, you're trying to do all these good things, maybe, you're, maybe you've come to that place where you're beginning to recognize that you can't be good enough, that you've never put your faith in Jesus and you're trying to check all the boxes. You're trying to do all the right things and you're trying to, to do it consistently, but it's just not working, is it? The people sitting in that synagogue that day knew exactly what you're feeling. The people in that synagogue were trying their best to be good people. They were trying to keep over 600 laws every single day, not in, only in the actions, but in how they thought. Their, their thought life, what they were thinking about, the motivations of their heart, they're trying to keep all of this conformed to the law. You know what the law does? The law doesn't fix a problem. The law just points out the problem. You see, the law says, do this, don't do that. Yet we end up doing the opposite. It's because the law can't fix the heart. Paul talks about this a lot in Romans chapter seven. He he says that the law is only there to point out where sin is, to point out where the boundaries are. But the law itself cannot fix the human heart. So these people in that synagogue are trying to keep the law day in and day out, hoping that it's going to change their heart, making it so that they're going to be acceptable by God, that somehow they'll do more good and less bad, and when it all comes down, that they'll be on
1: the right side of things with God. Is that how you're living your life? Listen to what Paul says. And everything
0: from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses, you can be free. You can
1: be free. I would imagine that, In the synagogue that day, there were marriages that were failing. And maybe the
0: husband's sitting in that synagogue, and and he's thinking to himself, I have done everything I can. I have done all the right things. I have been trying to keep the law. I'm checking all the boxes, but my marriage is still in trouble.
1: And the last thing he needs is to walk out of that synagogue with more boxes to check church I grew up in, it seemed like
0: following Jesus was all about checking more boxes. I love the church. I love the pastors that I have. But there was an undercurrent of legalism and an undercurrent of
1: works-based salvation that for the people who were hurting, they're doing everything they can do, would walk out with just more things to do. That's not freedom. That's bondage. What about the person in there who was drinking too much alcohol? What about
0: the person sitting in the synagogue who was addicted to alcohol and they've done everything they can to quit, right? And maybe they go a week, maybe they go a few days, maybe they can even make it a month, but all of a sudden, something happens in their life and without even thinking about it, they turn back and then then after they turn back to the bottle, they feel about all the guilt and the shame That comes overcomes them and they they begin to think, oh my goodness, I gotta get myself straightened out because I gotta get right with God and I gotta have the, the, the needle pointed in my favor, I gotta have the scales in my favor, I gotta do enough good so God will accept me on that day when I die. Does that sound like freedom? No, that's bondage. So when Paul says in this synagogue that by him, by Jesus, by the gospel, the good news, the light that Paul had found, he says, if this light. This good news is good news because it frees you. Because Jesus kept the law perfectly on your behalf. And and then Jesus went to a cross and he died on the cross that was meant for you. And the wrath of God that was meant for you was poured out on him. And then Jesus was placed in a grave and that could have been the end. By all worldly standards, it was the end. But no, three days later, Jesus comes out alive and declares himself as king sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he offers to every single human being on this earth the opportunity to be free.
1: And there is no other freedom but the freedom you find in Christ. You see, there's only two camps. Only two groups of people. In all the
0: ideologies, and all the arguing, and all the fighting, there are two groups of people born
1: again and lost. And you're in one of those two camps here today. Paul says, if you want to be free, you won't find it in Buddha. You won't find it in politics. People ask me, and down through the years, I've been asked this before,
0: and I have a ready answer for it. If I'm having a conversation with someone who's lost, someone who who doesn't know Jesus, who maybe doesn't know anything about the church, at some point in the conversation, something will come up to to the regard of, why do you follow Jesus? Right? I mean, that's an obvious question. If someone were to ask you the question, why do you follow Jesus? How would you answer that? Well,
1: it's because of all the perks. You know, uh, I like the music. I like the fellowship. Um, there's all kinds of things you could put in that blank. But here's, here's what I
0: usually reply in that, in that situation. I usually reply because Jesus
1: beat death? The one thing that both of us are going to have to face? No one else did that. I, can, I haven't
0: found anybody that compares to Jesus. I haven't found any religious ruler that didn't have to succumb to death. There's not one. Can you show me one? Have them stand up. Who, who is the religious leader who started a movement who was able to beat death? I can't find that person. I've only
1: found one. In reality, The reason I follow Jesus is because Jesus is the only one worth following. I mean, I know that sounds simple, but in fact, it's not. Paul says to this group in the synagogue, Jesus is the only one worth following. You would think, you would think that there would have been chaos in that synagogue on that day. There wasn't.
0: And this is one of the rare moments that it didn't just erupt into violence almost immediately. Verse 42, it says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? Jesus Jesus is proclaimed to a group of people. And you know what the people want? They want to stay longer. They want to hear more. They They want to go deeper. They want to know more. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and they spoke with them. In other words, it just continues on. Verse 44, So a week passes. Now during that week, don't you know, everybody in the community was talking about what Paul had to say. I would imagine that people all through that community were talking about how they could be free. I would imagine that that verse, that statement where Paul says, you can be free by believing in Jesus. I would imagine that reverberated through this entire community. So a week later, the entire city comes out to the synagogue. You know what I, what I find here, what I realize here, and what we're going to see over and over again? That God had been working in Antioch at Pisidia long before Paul got there. God had been actively drawing people to the truth, and all that was needed was for God's messenger to go into that, into that arena and proclaim the truth. The next Sabbath, verse 44, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Verse 45, here it is. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. What stirred them, what stirred them up? What got them upset? Well, see, they were perfectly fine with Paul talking about this. I, I, they weren't they were okay with Jesus coming up, but they were thinking that nobody's going to give G, uh, Paul any, any credit. Nobody's going to give Paul the time of day. So they're thinking that Paul and Barnabas are just going to move on and there's not going to be any results of it. But what happens is, is the entire city is stirred up and
1: they all want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear about the law. Jews are filled with jealousy. The
0: leaders begin to contradict Paul, be outspoken. They were reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you have thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. This is a key moment in Paul's life. Paul says, we're going to the Gentiles. Because apparently in that synagogue, the ones who had converted to Judaism and hear that there's freedom from the law, the Gentiles were responding overwhelmingly to the message of the gospel. Paul had been called to take the gospel to the nations. Especially the Gentiles,
1: but there was always something in Paul about this love for his Jewish brothers. Matter of fact, over in Romans, Paul talks that Paul says and writes there that that if it would be possible for him to die,
0: that his Jewish brothers would recognize Jesus as Messiah, then he would do it. That's how much he loved his brothers and wanted them to know the truth. But he says you are unworthy of eternal life. What does he mean by that? I mean, it's not as though the Jews weren't concerned about eternal life. They were adamantly concerned about eternal life. But but, but their message was, keep the law and that will turn out to eternal life with God in heaven. That, That was the message. But, but Paul says here, you have thrust the message aside. You have thrust the grace of God aside. You have thrust the message of God. And when you, when you cast the gospel aside, all you have left is works. If, if, if the grace of God is not what you're leaning into, then you're leaning into yourself. You're leaning into being a good person because guess what, that's all that's left. It's either the grace of God and God pursuing you and you
1: surrendering to that grace, Or are you trying to do it yourself? It's one or the other. And as the Jews reject the gospel, they have placed themselves in a place unworthy of eternal life. Why? Because their
0: life and all their goodness and all the keeping of the law will never be worthy enough.
1: See, that's the lie Satan doesn't tell you. you can never be good enough. Jesus had to die on that cross. He had to keep the law perfectly on your behalf. Paul says here, look at verse 48. When the Gentiles had heard
0: this, they began rejoicing. Look at that. The Gentiles began to rejoice that now the gospel is not just isolated to one group of people. That that, that the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, a, a Jewish Messiah, didn't come just for the Jews so that the rest of those, the others who were non-Jewish, would be lost forever? No, Jesus came for all tribes, all nations, all ethnicities. The Gentiles began to celebrate this and they were glorifying God and they were glorifying the word of the Lord that had been spoken to them. And this is the verse that blows my mind, verse 48. Look at this. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed.
1: Did you get that? That there were people In Antioch, Pisidia, that God had already
0: begun drawing to salvation before Paul got there. Now, wait a minute. We're going to see this over and over again. We're going to see that Paul goes into places where the gospel's never been, yet there are people there who are ready to receive the gospel, hear the gospel, respond. They're already there. God's already been working. He's
1: already been working in their heart. Well, What does that mean for us? Well, if there's only two groups of people and you're in the light and you're going
0: into a dark world, you, you may have these, these ideas that run through your head. Well, you know, if I go out there, are there people are going to be offended. If I bring Jesus up, people are not going to like it. And, and I'm just going to fall flat on my face. I'm going to fail. All those things run through your mind. They run through mine. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't think I am. But boy, isn't there incredible comfort in knowing that God is already out there working in the darkness the city of lumberton robinson county he's already working and what he's wanting you to do is to go to the others the ones who haven't heard the ones who are different from you who who speak differently talk differently live differently they they, they may be from another country we have people from all over the world right here in robinson county of all places And if we look at those people or we work with those people, we look at them we go, we start adding up all the differences. Well, their their ethnicity is different. Their language is different. Their religion is different. Their their hair color is different. Their hairstyle is different. Their clothes are different. We're going to keep on building up all these differences where all we will do is retreat back to people just like us.
1: And Jesus won't come up. And then it'll be us and the others. And no one going with the light. As many as were appointed. God was working there.
0: Jesus said this in John chapter 6. I think it's verse 44. He said, unless the Holy Spirit
1: draws, a person can't come to faith. God was already there working, drawing. The Gentiles were celebrating. And
0: Paul turns his heart and his attention to the Gentiles. Go back to Ephesians 3. We'll close. Two verses I want to get in here before we go. So Paul called... To the gospel, a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He he's the least of all the saints, such humility. Paul didn't belittle himself, he was just a humble man. But I want you to see verse 10 again, and then the next verses, and we'll close. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We're not to retreat. As the spiritual warfare gets more
1: intense as it gets deeper and more profound. We're not to retreat or to advance. He says, this was according
0: to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. Does that describe your faith? Boldness? You recognize the access that you have to God through the Holy Spirit? Confidence and faith?
1: Paul was writing this in prison, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart. Have you lost heart? Losing heart sounds like this. Well, I know I've been changed. I know
0: I've been transformed. I know I have new life, but there's people out there, I think they've gone too far. I don't think they deserve it. Don't think they need it. I don't think they'll respond to it. So I'm just going to keep with my tribe. I'm going to keep with my people. I'm going to talk with the folks who I know will pat me on the back when I bring Jesus up. Out there, it's too risky. But what if I were to tell you that God is already working out there and he invites you to come and join him in the work that he's already
1: doing, that God is already preparing. Is it going to be hard? Yeah. Could, could, could somebody give us up? Yeah. Doesn't change the thing, does it? If we go in love, empowered by the Spirit, the message of the good news, whether they accept or whether they reject, it's not for you to be worried about or concerned about. What
0: we've got to realize is there's two groups of people. Don't be deceived into thinking there's 15 or 20. There's two. And I believe you know which group you're in. And if you're in that group of light, if, you're in that, if you've been born again and you're in light, you have a ministry, a mission to go
1: back in the darkness with the light that is so desperately needed where God is already at work. Father in heaven, Thank you so much for Paul's life. Um, It's amazing. It's
0: amazing what Paul faced. It's amazing what he went through. It's amazing his faith and his humility.
1: And Father, uh, his calling is no different than our calling in that we are to make disciples.
0: But Father, if we get into this tribal mentality, if we get into this bunker mentality,
1: then Father, we'll retreat. We'll retreat. And we'll even justify We'll even justify it, Father, by keeping our
0: mouths shut about what truth we've found and what good news we've found and what light we have found. Father, you have not called us to dig a hole and store up food and get ready for the end times. You have called us as your people to advance the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness. If we don't do it, who will? Father, there are people in this room right now that are still walking in darkness. They've not recognized Jesus for who He is, that He's the greatest ever. And Father, that He can free them from the bondage of trying to keep the law and be a good person. Father, have Your will and Your way. The work that needs to be done is to be done in our hearts. And that's the work the Holy Spirit does. So we leave that to Him and we invite it. Father, as we worship at this last song, I pray that You would move powerfully in the hearts of the people here today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.